Well, as we gather again today and we're talking about marriage, we're in a marriage sermon series called State of Our Unions, Marriage and Process. Some of you have been wondering, when are we going to get to the talk on sex? Well, today is that day. Yes, some of you have been maybe skipping all the other sermons. Uh, And finally, you're going to jump in on this one. And uh, I'm going to encourage you, go back and listen to all the other ones. Watch us uh, here on YouTube or listen to those. And that will actually give you deeper meaning to this sermon here on sex. So sex in marriage is what we're talking about today. Some of you have been eagerly awaiting this sermon. Others of you, perhaps, maybe you're very nervous about this very topic and maybe you've been dreading it. You've listened to all the other sermons, but on this one, you may just skip right over it. So I invite you not to skip over this sermon. Um, I'm going to try my best. I'm here today to try to recover and to sort of try to teach and illustrate and celebrate the high and beautiful view that God has of sex, as is described in the Bible. So, um, that, well, that's going to take a, a long time. There, there's uh, so much that I either won't say or will forget to say, or uh, th- there's just so much here. And so I'm going to be doing this for two weeks. So today I have two main points, and then we'll take this topic up again next week, and there will be two main points. Today's two main points are sex has a God-given purpose, and then sex in marriage is good. It's good. So embrace it. Those are our two points today. Next week, we'll look at sex can be destructive. So God gives us boundaries. And then secondly, next week, sex can be destructive. So God gives us grace. That means healing, forgiveness, wholeness, restoration, and freedom. So uh, you may be coming into this conversation about sex and sexuality, and you you may have lots of questions. There may be a curiosity that's there. There may be a frustration that's there in your life. There may be a painful past. There may be a fearful future that you're anticipating, maybe regarding having sex for the first time or bringing your past sexual experiences into your marriage. And so I just want to encourage you that there's so much to talk about here that, uh, and because of the sensitive nature of sex and sexuality, that I choose to talk about uh, these issues usually on a one-on-one basis. Right, so of course we're talking about sex within marriage today, but uh, we usually, myself as well as our church, we usually deal with these type conversations in a one-on-one conversation. Someone is dealing with same-sex attraction, or if someone, someone is struggling with sex or sexuality in their personal life or in their married life, we find that there's more fruit in having those conversations in a confidential, one-on-one type environment. And so if you have any of those questions, I invite you to reach out to me, or I invite you to reach out to our church that uh, I myself, as well as our church, it's a safe place to discuss all of these issues regarding sex and sexuality. Uh, Be it right or wrong, 
our first experience with sexuality often shapes us. Right? We've all had some sort of experience, sex, sexuality, and those experiences early on tend to shape us. And so as a Christian, I believe that it's God and God's Word, the Bible, and God's very presence with us through the Holy Spirit that is reshaping us and reshaping our experiences. So again, as a person and as a church, uh, I like to focus on the relationship with God first. And then as that relationship with God begins to grow, that's where I have seen in my own personal life, as well as in the lives of others, have seen life change. So we don't start with rules. We don't start with the ethic or we don't start with morality, we start with a relationship with God. And over time, as that grows through his word and by his very presence and through the help of others called Christian community, we are shaped and reshaped. And so uh, I just want to throw that, throw that out there to you as well. So we're all committing to a process of healing and restoration uh, when it comes to the word sex and sexuality. Okay, so all that's preface. Preface. You're saying right now, I can read your thought bubbles. You're saying, just get to it. Let's get to the sex talk. Uh, okay, so our two main points today are sex has a God-given purpose. And number two, sex and marriage is good. God invented it. It has a purpose. It's good, and we're to embrace it. Let's get to the first one here. Sex has a God-given purpose. Now, I really enjoy Richard Hayes' commentary on 1 Corinthians as he's describing the biblical view of sex. And I want you to listen to what he says and how he compares or rather contrasts the Christian view of sex and the biblical view of sex with that of moderns or even postmoderns. He says, moderns view sex as a medium of exchange for fun and convenience. And what he means by that is that basically we're in a hookup culture. We're in a one-night stand culture. We're in a living together without taking vows, covenantal vows of marriage, which we discussed a few weeks ago. But he says that moderns view sex in that way. It's just a medium of exchange for fun and convenience. And yet they view money as something sacred and special, worth sacrificing for, not something easily shared. But biblical Christianity espouses just the opposite view. Money is merely an exchange, a way to produce goods and services. It is not, for special, it is not special or sacred. It is something to be shared to be given away to those who need it. Sex, on the other hand, according to the Bible, sex, on the other hand, is sacred and special and to be enjoyed only in the right context of pointing us towards the eternal. What a great point he's making here that uh, in modern day culture, uh, there truly is a low view of sex. It's just an exchange. And yet with money, it's very viewed as very sacred. And the Christian view is quite the opposite. Money for Christians 
yes, we're to make it, and perhaps we would even pray that God would bless us to make much of it so that we can give it away, so that it's not an idol. But then regarding sex, it's to be enjoyed by God's purpose and God's designs within the bounds of marriage only. Wow, what a great blessing God has given us there. Some of my non-Christian friends are pleasantly surprised when they learn that the Bible is not as prudish or anti-sex as maybe they once had thought. Uh, I even remember thinking a long time ago, uh, and at that time in my life as a non-Christian, I was thinking, you know, I bet those Christians really don't have good sex. Uh, And that's kind of the viewpoint of a lot of my non-Christian friends. Um, They're pleasantly surprised when I get the opportunity to describe to them and explain to them that the Bible starts out with two naked people. Yeah, in the Garden of Eden, God brings together two naked people, joins them together in this mysterious marital union together. Uh, the first marriage of human history. And secondly, I go on to try to talk a little bit about the the book called Song of Solomon. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm referring to when I say uh, Song of Solomon. Have you ever read the Song of Solomon? Have you ever uh, read some of these very sexually explicit uh, verses, uh, sort of poetic language there in the book of Song of Solomon? It's filled with barefaced rejoicing in sexual pleasure within the context of marriage. And so the Bible can be very uncomfortable uh, for the prudish. Let's just say that. Let me, let me, shall I read? Shall I read right now some of the Song of Solomon? Ah, you're thinking. I, I was hoping you would do that. Well, here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter four, says, take. Now, by the way, in Song of Solomon, this is, this is an account of two lovers within the context of marriage talking to one another. Now, Song of Solomon chapter 4 says, Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let me... Beloved, come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Use your imagination there, okay? Another place, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, says, Your stature is like that of a palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. Wow, that, that, this sort of language is, is in the Bible. Now, all of a sudden, Bible reading just trended right there. Everybody's like, well, I'm going to start reading my Bible today. Um, yeah, go read the book of Song of Solomon. Go pray about it and um, see where God leads you. There's a lot of imagery there. One of God's purposes, we talked about the purpose of God for sex. One of God's purposes for sex in marriage is it's a covenant renewal ceremony. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the importance of a covenant. 
And not like the hookup culture, not like, hey, I'm just going to live with this person, my girlfriend, my boyfriend. We'll see if it works out, but we're not going to commit. We're not going to make a covenant. We're not going to take vows together. Well, sex, the purpose for sex in marriage is to be this covenant renewal ceremony, right? Every time this married couple is having sex together, it's a celebration. They're renewing their covenant together. And the Bible is actually full of renewal, covenant renewal ceremonies. And so when God enters into a personal relationship with someone, with you, with me, with someone in the Bible, God is not so unrealistic to think that mere emotions, mere feelings can be the the basis for the relationship. So God... uh, requires that something binding be in place to provide the consistency uh, and to provide endurance for the infrastructure for the relationship. So God requires there to be a a binding, a public, legal covenant as the infrastructure for the intimacy. That's what makes the the sexual experience so, so profound, so other in marriage. See, it's far easier to be vulnerable to someone who has bindingly promised to be exclusively faithful to you than someone who is under no obligation to stay with you for more than just one night or to live with you perpetually without that covenant, without that marriage, true marriage bond. Genesis chapter 2 Verses 24 and 25, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now these words, one flesh, does not mean just a physical union. So the purpose of God for sex in marriage is not just so that two uh, bodies can, uh, two fleshly bodies can, can come together. That's not what sex is, as the hookup culture prescribes. One flesh means a complete, a complete union of both persons. Sex creates this deep intimacy, a deep oneness and communion between two people of all other areas, economic legal, personal, psychological, created by the marriage covenant. It includes all of the persons, not just the physical body. That's what it means when it says they became one flesh. Anthony Thistleton, Bible commentator, says, far from devaluing sex, one flesh involves the entire person, not merely body parts the full giving of the entire self to one that you belong. See, God has intended sex to be enjoyed in the relationship between a husband and a wife where the intimate act of sex unites them. It unites them together as one flesh. Tim and Kathy Keller, in their great book called The Meaning of Marriage, there's a great chapter in it on sex. They say that sex in marriage is a way to say to your spouse, 
I belong completely and exclusively and permanently to you. That's the purpose of sex within marriage. There, now let me just give you a personal example of being one flesh with my wife Caroline for almost a quarter of a century. And of course I'm going to keep it uh, G or PG-13 uh, rated here. Uh, but in every situation, in a split second, uh, when I'm asked a question, because she and I are one flesh, I can also tell you how Caroline would answer the question. Uh, I, I know instantaneously what Caroline's going to think or what she's going to say or what she's going to do and how she's going to react in a given situation. It's because we're one flesh. And that one flesh is not just a physical, sexual union, but there's emotional unity there. There's spiritual unity there that I know this woman. And what this means is that it's not that I, I've lost who I am. It just means that I've been radically supplemented. Now, the purpose of sex and marriage then is to provide a unique means. It's a unique means through which a husband and a wife can know one another, to serve one another. When was the last time you heard sex described in that way? That it was a means to serve one another, that a husband is to be serving his wife in sex, and the wife is to be serving her husband in sex. It's to express vulnerability before one another and to give to one another and to receive this gift of sex from your spouse. Now, another one of God's purposes for sex is sexual purity. Sexual purity, and you're thinking, oh no, oh no, he had to go there. Well, I'm going there because the Bible goes there. That is one of the purposes for sex, and it's sexual purity. And no, I'm not just talking to singles. I'm talking to singles. I'm talking to married folks. Purity is the same for all of us. That's the call for all of us is sexual purity. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. And in chapter 5, he's going to talk to husbands and wives. But he says here in verse 3, But among you, means all of you, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say, you know, if sexual immorality, you know, if it kind of somewhere along in there crosses a, you know, if it, if it crosses a line, you know, you might want to step away from it. No, he says flee which means run as fast as you can. Go in the opposite direction. Stay away from it. It'll burn you. It'll bring destruction in your life. And we're going to talk about that next week. But he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Flee sexual immorality. This word in the Greek means or is, uh, is pronounced porneia, porneia. So to flee sexual immorality, the Greek word porneia means to have sex with someone that you're not married to. That's what sexual immorality means. So it means any kind of sex 
outside of marriage. So if you're looking for the verse that says, hey, where's that verse that says I can't have sex before marriage? Uh, it's this verse right here, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, that says flee from sexual immorality because the word porneia means any type of sex outside of marriage. So see, the application is the same for all people, sexual purity. If you're married, it means to stay pure by not lusting or not committing adultery, keeping sex within the marriage, not inviting others in the marriage, either publicly or privately, like having an affair or looking at pornography. Um, the application for singles is to stay pure by not having sex outside of marriage. It's to stay chaste. And so for all of us, it's to practice our, our purity by continually receiving the spousal love, the spousal love of Jesus in our life. Otherwise, the temptations that are all around us and inside of us will feel so, so overwhelming. And so we're to connect in a personal relationship with Jesus that will help all of us maintain sexual purity. Another one of God's purposes for sex and marriage is procreation. Procreation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase, that is multiply, fill the earth, have children. Psalm 127, verse 3, I love this verse, that says, children are indeed a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. A great friend, a couple, they're great friends, and they told me just this week that they're expecting, and as I listened to that, I just jumped out of my seat. I'm so excited for them, because children really are a blessing from the Lord. And that's because this is one of God's purposes for sex and marriage. It's for procreation. Yes, sex is God's design to fill the earth with humans created in, in his image. Sex is quite necessary for the covenant of Abraham to be fulfilled. Remember, God made a covenant with Abraham and he's saying, go and all nations will be blessed through you and through your seed that around the throne of God, there would be people from every tongue, tribe, nation, worshiping, singing praises to God at the end of history because we, husbands and wives, we are a part of bringing others into this world through sex. It's beautiful the way that God has designed that. These people are created through sex. Another one of God's purposes for sex and marriage is pleasure. Pleasure. You were waiting on me to say that. You were hoping that the Bible would say that. And yes, it does say that. It is for pleasure. And that leads us to our second main point today, that sex and marriage is good. Sex and marriage is good, so embrace it in the context of marriage. Proverbs chapter 5 saying how sex is good and that we should embrace it. Proverbs chapter 5 says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. 
May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And back to the Song of Solomon, chapter five, it says, eat, friends, drink, and imbibe deeply, O lovers. He's talking to you, lovers. He's talking to you within marriage. You, husband, you, wife, go. Have sex, go, enjoy, it's good. It's God's gift to you. It's your playground that God has given you. Sex in marriage is good. And that means that it should be practiced regularly throughout the marriage. There's a regularity in this exercise of sex. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 5 says, Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. Uh, each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other sexually. Do not be depriving one another. It's good. It's God's gift. You should be embracing it regularly. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. By God's grace and God's goodness, humbly and gratefully, I can say personally that after a quarter of a century of doing this with one woman, my wife, sex has become sweeter, sex has become more pleasurable and powerful and transforming as the years go by, even as you age. Just like in covenant renewal ceremonies, God regularly gathered his people to celebrate that covenant renewal. God invites his people, not just one time to celebrate the covenant, but there's a regularity that people were gathered together to, to reread the terms of the covenant. They were to reread portions of scripture that reminded them of how they're in union with God. That was a celebration of the covenant renewal. That to remember the, the history of God's acts of grace in their lives and to recommit themselves to the renewal of the covenant. The ultimate covenant renewal ceremony is, of course, the Lord's Supper, which we'll be celebrating here together momentarily. But it's in that covenant renewal that we're reminded of our union with God through Christ. The covenant will grow stale. <laughs> the covenant will grow stale unless we continually revisit this covenant and reenact it and re-celebrate our covenant together as married couples. God designed sex and marriage to be beautiful and mutually enjoyable, mutually satisfying. God designed sex and marriage to be for pleasure and for climax for both husband and wife. 
Sex is designed to be fun and enjoyable. And if it's not fun and not enjoyable, you're not doing it right. God designed it as a gift to be enjoyed in marriage, to be enjoyable and fun. Now see, our culture, not to beat up on our culture, we are a part of our culture, but our culture has focused so much on male pleasure and female acquiescence that we've lost sight of God's original intent. God's original intent. There's a commentary on Song of Solomon written by Trimper Longman, and he talks about, uh, he says, the role of the woman throughout the Song of Solomon is truly astounding, especially in light of its ancient origins. It is the woman, not the man, who is the dominant voice throughout the poems that make up the Song of Solomon. She is the one, the woman who seeks, pursues, and initiates. She boldly exclaims her physical attraction. Most English translations hesitate, but the Hebrew is quite erotic, and most translators cannot bring themselves to bring out the obvious meaning. This, again, is a prelude to their lovemaking. There is no shy, shamed, mechanical movement under the sheets. Rather, the two stand before each other, aroused, feeling no shame, but only joy in each other's sexuality. That's because sex in marriage is good. It is to be embraced because it mirrors the joyous self-giving and pleasure of love within the life of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit live in a unity, a relationship of glorious devotion to each other, constantly, constantly pouring out love and joy into one another. Oh, what a mystery. C.S. Lewis calls sex in marriage the great dance. He says, all of God's reality, from the stars and solar systems to the act of sexual intercourse, form an ongoing dynamic dance in which plans without number interlock and each movement becomes in its season the breaking into flower of the whole design to which all else had been directed. See, sex in marriage is good. And it's good because in sex, in a healthy uh, sexual relationship in marriage, it is radical self-donation to your spouse. It's not trying to see what you can get from your spouse. The purpose of sex is not personal self-expression in order to be happy, but personal self-donation to imitate, to imitate the way God gives love. Now, sex in marriage is good when there's good communication. I just want to give you just, and I know I'm hearing an amen. I know I'm hearing an amen whenever I say sex in marriage is good when there's good communication. Uh, a few practical ways to grow in communicating about sex in your marriage and by the way, couples may be experiencing 
problems that show up in the bedroom. And if that's the case, if you're not experiencing joyous, frequent, happy, pleasurable sex for both husband and wife, uh, it could be the result of it could be the result of age and aging. And and for that we understand. But if if it's something else, it could be for deeper issues underneath the surface that need to be discussed. It could be because there's other pain, there's other conflict that needs to be resolved. Also, things that change over time, such as job security or children and age, as I just said. So remember that connecting emotionally and spiritually is just as important as physical sex in marriage. So remember, deposits during the day to affirm your spouse, to affirm your love and passion for one another. See, this communicates to the person that you're thinking of them and you're thinking for them, like washing the dishes. (laughs) Yes, that will promote your sex life. Wash the dishes, serve your spouse. Plan sex is another uh, application or encouragement here. Anything important in life requires planning. You just plan it. Now, I'm not saying that uh, spontaneous sex with a marriage is a bad thing. It can be really, really good. But planned sex does not make sex any less romantic. There's a personal example here that we... Uh, my wife and I, Caroline, we used to live in a very small, about a 700-square-foot apartment here in San Francisco, and we slept, my wife and I slept in a Murphy bed in the center of that apartment. <laughs> and when people uh, would come over and visit us, I could read their thought bubble. And the thought bubble was, how do you guys have sex in this small apartment? I mean, you you, you have kids, and it's such a small apartment. Well, you have to plan for it. You have to plan for it. There, there were rules for bedtimes. There were rules for wake times for those children, etc., etc. So anything that's important, you plan for it. Talk about sex with your spouse. Right, have conversations about sex with your spouse. Yes, during the act. That can help coach one another for what you find pleasurable and what your spouse finds pleasurable. But also uh, talk about sex outside of the act of sex. More can be discussed and understood when you're not having sex together. Read good books about sex together and communicate. They're great books that are out there. I do not recommend under any circumstance pornography together or even alone, that will bring total destruction into your marriage. But to read good books about marriage and to discuss those things, that, that what really matters to your spouse, that's what matters. For you two to communicate together and to have mutual agreement about the type of sex you're going to have, about the frequency of sex about the intensity of the sex. All of that needs to be mutually agreed upon. And remember that a friendship doesn't grow because the sex is good. Don't be fooled to think, as the hookup culture is wanting us to think, that if sex is good, 
we'll just develop a friendship. No, it's just the opposite. That over time, as a friendship grows and as communication grows, your sex with one another will also grow in its uh, intimacy. It'll be terrific because of your friendship. Let me encourage you to keep dating one another. Remember early on in your relationship when you sent flowers or when you surprised your spouse, when you wrote them a note and called them in the middle of the day and just encouraged them or texted them. Keep doing that. Keep dating them. Keep pursuing them. Not just sexually, but emotionally and spiritually. Now, in conclusion, in conclusion, we've said so much today, and there's so much more to say, but in conclusion, today's invitation is to surrender, surrender your sexuality to God. That is the invitation. Whatever marital status you have, marriage and sex is not what gives you value and worth. That our identity is much deeper than that. Your worth, your identity, let me remind you of your identity and, and, and your worth. That in Christ, you belong to God and are viewed as beautiful, that God desires you. God seeks to have an intimate relationship with you. So whether you're married or not, whether your sex life is great or not, God values you. That's what you need to be reminded of and that we need to surrender our sexuality to God. Hear this verse from Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you God is a mighty Savior. God will take delight in you with gladness. With God's love, God will calm all of your fears. God will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Next week, next week, we're going to look at those two points. The first one is sex can be destructive, so God gives us boundaries for our sex and sexuality as a gift. And secondly, sex can be destructive, so God gives us grace. Yes, sex, many of us have experienced personally the destructive nature of sex. Yet God gives us grace, which means his forgiveness, his healing, his transformation, and freedom, ultimately. Why don't we pray together right now? There's so much that we want to give God thanks for. There's so much that perhaps we want to pray for if we're single and we, we desire sex or we desire to be married or if we're in a marriage and we need our sexual relationship with our spouse to be restored or renewed or we're in a relationship, uh, in a marriage where the sex is unspeakably great. And we just want to give thanks to God for that. Uh, if we're divorced or if we're wanting to be remarried and, 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 and we just long for God to uh, bring that part back into our lives, let's, let's bring all of these things before God in prayer. God, we thank you for the beautiful gift of sex within marriage. We've all been hurt. We've all been damaged by sex when it's been used in a way contrary 
to what you designed and how you invented sex. Help us confess our sexual sins of lust, adultery, impatience, selfishness, and help us receive God's grace to forgive us, to heal us, to restore us, and to give us true freedom. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.